This is uh, Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. We're thrilled today to have just a tremendous group of panelists discuss sort of healthcare and private equity and what we're seeing today. Uh, we've got two great panelists from ECG, Katie Fellin and Jared Langus. We've also got Scott Norwin from Banner Health, uh, Chief Strategy and Growth Officer, and, and Justin Ishbia, founder uh, and managing partner of Shore Capital Partners. Uh, Katie's a partner with the Managed Care Group at ECG. Jared's a partner of Strategy Services. Before we get started, I'll ask each of you just to take a moment to introduce yourselves and maybe tell us just a bit about your background. Katie, we'll start with you, then I'll ask Jared, Scott, and, and Justin to introduce themselves. And, and then we'll get started in, in sort of this discussion of private equity and healthcare and managed care today and a lot more. Katie? Yeah, thanks, Scott. So I'm Katie Fellin. As, as you mentioned, I'm a partner in our managed care services division at ECG. I've been with the firm since 2007, and I've spent almost the entirety of that time within the managed care services division. Around the last five to six years or so, I've also taken a lead for ECG's behavioral health service line um, and coupled that with also helping to lead a lot of the work that ECG is doing with our private equity clients. A lot of that work stemmed from uh, the original set of private um, equity behavioral health inquiries, but then has expanded to all of the other subservice areas. So really excited to to be here and part of this today. Thanks, Scott. It, fascinating. And certainly some of those areas like behavioral health are extremely busy areas today with lots and lots of need. Jared, let me ask you to introduce yourself. Sure. Hey, everyone. Jared Langus, partner with ECG. I spent my entire career really in professional services, management consulting, and investment banking roles, all within the healthcare sector. I also spent five years uh, leading M&A and strategy at Cedar sinai Health System in Los Angeles, which I have found really shaped my perspective working for a mission-driven organization and doing transactions in, in the healthcare space across the continuum, and pleased to be here. Thank you. And it's fascinating about Cedar sinai as well is that's one of the top three or four ranked systems in, in the country by U.S. News and just one of the great, great systems in the country. So fascinating background, especially as they've expanded and done different strategic things. So thank you for joining us. Scott Nordland, I know I've had a chance to talk to you several times on the podcast over the years. Can you take a moment and introduce yourself? I sure can. Thanks, Scott. I'm Scott Nordland, and I'm the Executive Vice President, Chief Strategy and Growth Officer for Banner Health. Um, Banner's a $14 billion health system headquartered in Phoenix. I've been here for about six years now, have responsibility for system-wide strategy, M&A, digital business, innovation, new venture investments, um, service line strategy and growth. Prior to this role, um, I was the EVP Chief Business Development Officer for Select Medical. Before that, EVP Chief Growth Strategy and Innovation Officer for Trinity Health in Michigan. And I also served as the SVP of M&A and New Venture Development at Dignity Health. And so in all these uh, leadership roles that I've been fortunate enough to have, my focus has been on the future and how we grow innovatively and strategically into spaces that will be meaningful to the populations that, uh, that we serve. Thank you. And, and Banner Health is the leading regional system in your area by a significant degree and has become one of the great systems in the country under your leadership, Dr. Fine's leadership, and the whole group there. Is that a fair statement about Banner being a leading system there? Yes. Yes, it is. 
Thank you, Scott. And, and Justin, thank you for being with us today. Take a moment and tell us about your background, and then we'll come back to you and to ECG for a moment about sort of this overlap of private equity and healthcare today for just an overview of that. But Justin, first take a second and introduce yourself as well. Sure. My name is Justin Ishbi. I'm a partner at Shore Capital Partners. Really excited to be here, and thanks for the opportunity. Shore Capital Partners is a private equity firm headquartered in Chicago, um, with also office in Nashville. We have over about $6 billion in assets under management. Um, our firm has done about 60 platform acquisitions and uh, about another 900 um, beyond that as well. Um, we focus on healthcare. Um, we know of our, over three quarters of our businesses in the healthcare areas. Um, there's a lot of opportunity, we believe, in partnering with great systems and great payers and great parts of the ecosystem. And a mantra we have here at Shore Capital is good medicine is good business. So we're always trying to do the right by the patient first. And if that occurs, we're pretty sure um, the downstream follows as well. So excited to be here and share with you some of our experiences. Yes, and it's amazing what Short has done over the years under your leadership and your team's leadership in growing to be about the premier healthcare investor, particularly mid-market healthcare uh, in, in the nation. Um, Justin, let me start with you, and then I'll ask Katie and Jared to, to touch on this as well. Can you offer a high-level overview of the private equity landscape you see in healthcare today, and what should we, we listeners understand about investment trends and what people are doing in healthcare with private equity investing? So, you know, um, I would say when I think about uh, private equity investing, like in the healthcare ecosystem, I mentioned before, I would say good medicine is good business, but I think there's like three big buckets in the healthcare ecosystem, right? There's providers, there's hospitals, and there's insurance plans. Like broadly speaking, those are the three big buckets. And I think each have their tremendous strengths and each have you no know, opportunities that could be a little bit different. And when they interplay really well with each other, it's an opportunity. Here at Shore Capital, we like to partner more often with providers or parts of the ecosystem that can be um, an aid to a hospital system or aid to an insurance plan, up to the data and technology. Um, behavioral health is an area we had a fair amount of experience in and spent a lot of time there as well. I think what's the biggest trend I would say has occurred over the last decade, in my view, is the consumerism of healthcare. You know, if you or I right now want to order a piece of pizza, um, hop on your phone and it'll be here in 30 minutes. If I want to get an appointment to see a rheumatologist, that's more of a challenge. And so if you can order a pizza in a minute, I think you should be able to get an appointment in the same way. And so our, our view of the world is how do we partner with great individuals who have a skill set that they love to focus on? So my view is that uh, providers went to school to take care of patients, not necessarily to the business side of the house. And so how can we partner with great providers, for example, to allow them to work at the top of their license. That's a theme here I say over and over again, do things only a doctor can do, and then have the right staffing and support staff to do things that a doctor maybe shouldn't be doing, allow him to do, him or her to do more of the things they'd love to do. Thank you very, very much. And it, it really is fascinating. And, and the shortages of providers are gonna make that, that interplay even tougher over the next several years, I'm afraid. When you talk about how easy it is to order a pizza, but how hard it is to make an appointment with a rheumatologist, uh, unfortunately, not sure that that's going to get easier. Technically, maybe, but actual supply and demand wise, maybe not. Uh, and, and Katie and Jared, let me ask you to comment for a moment too on overview trends that you're watching in healthcare and what listeners should be thinking about in terms of private equity and healthcare and investment trends. Sure, I can start and then pass it to Katie. Uh, you know, as, as a leader of the MA practice here at ECG, we spend a lot of time working with our our health system clients, hospital health system clients, and what I found 
you know, over the last 10 years or so working with hospital health system leadership and boards is that there's really been an evolution of thinking about how systems partner. Maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there were a lot of partnership structures that boards were really not interested in. And a lot of times felt like they needed to have 100% control of something in order to feel like they were going to be able to do it and do it well. Um, but I think that thinking has really evolved over time and you're seeing a lot more creative partnership structures. There's been more of a willingness to work with private equity um, and private equity has been a good, shown to be a good partner for a lot of health systems. And it really just depends on the scale, um, the sector within within healthcare and kind of how, you know, what's the inter, interplay and relationships within the ecosystem in that particular market because healthcare, as we all know, is very local. And so, you know, as as healthcare investments do scale up, it, it, it becomes, you know, some somewhat of an issue for certain health systems. And so certain investments are right for, you know, for certain health systems of a certain size and others, you know, may not find success with those same kinds of investments. Thank you. And Katie? Yeah, so I want to touch on two of the things, one that, that Jared said and one that Justin said. Um, fundamentally agree when you think about you know, trying to figure out which services the health system should provide within the healthcare continuum in a community and where alternate provider partners like private equity-backed entities might be able to play a role. Behavioral health is a terrific example of that. Hospitals and health systems don't need to bear the burden of providing the full continuum. They need access, right, and places to refer patients. And, and when you think about that, there's a lot of synergy between for-profiters, private equity-backed entities who are in the community and trying to help release some of that pressure. The other thing we're seeing though, and this is what Justin was talking about, the, the, the role of consumerism. Part of what we're seeing when we're working with our private equity clients and thinking about the role of reimbursement and relationships with payers is, we hear them say, gosh, we're fighting for referrals, we're making sure we're creating access, we're being good citizens, You know, we have short appointment times. Some of those things matter to payers, but not all of those things. And so I think where private equity has done a really good job of thinking about the business model is how do we build out and create access and focus on consumerism and, and focus on the patient first, but do that in a way that's fiscally responsible because we have to do it under the reimbursement limitations, right, that exist in a very hyper-local market. And so we're seeing a lot of conversations and just downward rate pressure on the ambulatory service space in general. And I think there's a lot of opportunity there for continued exploration of how to develop those, those business models that are sustainable. Thank you very, very much. And Scott Nordland, let me ask you this. You sit in the position of being a leader of one of the largest systems in the country. Healthcare executives seem to have all kinds of different views of private equity's position in healthcare disruption and, and so forth, whether it's DC or health system executives, some of those comments are negative, some of those are positive. In, in some ways, I think the the negativity towards private equity is way overdone because you know some of the biggest disruptors certainly aren't the private equity disruptors. But, but what do you see from a private equity perspective, or how do you look at it? And, and it, it is the private equity need for scale at, at odds with the concept of healthcare being local, I mean, how do you sort of think about private equity in healthcare today as a as a leader of a great system? Well, you know, I think there's a ton of disruption in nearly every part of our industry at this point. PE is one of those causes. 
But I, I think it's less about healthcare is local, that kind of mantra, and more about the end game and longevity question. So, you know, you have decidedly different timelines when you look at a health system versus a private equity player. There's not going to be a three to five year flip coming with health systems, which, you know, have, have often been in markets for many decades. So your moves and decision points are different if you're trying to maximize profit over a short-term duration versus build a long-term sustainable market presence, or they can be different. And no doubt that I, I think a large part of the PE strategy is to look at attractive profit pools and services where they believe they can create scale and efficiency that leads to better performance and value. That's totally understandable, but also can be a real point of conflict for systems that have to provide a broader array of services, some more profitable than others. And so I think the, the challenge is that essential but unprofitable services can be at risk if all the profitable services are gone. Now, that said, I think there's also significant elements of the PE influence that are incredibly positive. You know, they, they force health systems to be more creative and, and as we've been talking about uh, customer focused to compete. Um, in other cases, they're solid partners in helping us be more aggressive in growth and innovation as well. And in some of the spaces that, uh, that my uh, colleagues have, have been talking about. Um, disruptors always force you to rethink your value proposition and that can lead to really positive changes for uh, the consumers that we serve. And ultimately that's, that's the end game to success. Thank you very much. Your, your point is so well taken on both the time frame of private equity sometimes, as well as sort of the private equity might be more focused on the more profitable services, but a large health system also serves the need of serving all essential services and as a safety net as well, which might not be the focus of, of private equity. Talk for a second, unless Scott and Justin about this question. It, it seems like in private equity is private equity venture capital focused into artificial intelligence, into digital health to an extent, uh, into pharma, it's been pretty well accepted as private equity and, and Justin's firm has done a deep dive into these areas, into actual practice areas, uh, physician practices, provider areas, behavioral health areas, and so forth. There's been a whole mix of responses in the in the community. For example, as private equity becomes big investors in orthopedic platforms, a local health system may like or dislike that. Some may partner with it and so forth. Let me ask each of you. Are in, I'll start with you, Scott, here, and then push to Justin. Are private equity firms and health systems well-suited to partnership and healthcare service delivery? And if so, where are they? Where might partnerships make sense? And Justin, I'll ask you the same question. Can private equity and health systems work together? And if so, what areas can make sense? It's a great question, Scott. I, I think, you know, the, the models, they can definitely work. They can also go terribly wrong, you know, as evidenced by, you know, a, a company like Envision where, the market suddenly has a PE-owned anesthesia services company implode, which you know affects nearly every aspect of surgical operations. And you know you can also see challenges when you consider, and this is kind of in Katie's world, markets um, like Phoenix may have a dozen startup MA plans that are solely focused on growth and being acquired. So that creates situations where short-term 
unsustainable benefit offerings may draw in a lot of members to plans that don't worry about how long they're going to be in the market versus a banner, which is thinking about, um, you know, trying to compete year over year and creating something that's more sustainable. Now that said, again, there's great examples of where PE and health systems have formed excellent relationships that have really benefited both parties across service delivery, back office, digital AI, the things that you mentioned. I think, Scott, to me, there's two great challenges that have to be well thought out. Uh, the first is something I mentioned previously, and that is there is a difference in time frame for these investments. So health systems are in communities forever, I'm a bit of an exaggeration, but as I said, many have facilities that have served their communities for you know more than a century. And PE firms are typically gonna be um, exiting within five or so years. So the longer term viewpoint of, uh, of the markets we serve means our offerings are designed to be competitive, but sustainable because we're not exiting the market uh, on a buyout. Second, I think not-for-profit systems also have a community and mission focus that requires us to serve everyone. So uh, as, as we talked about before, PE firms build companies that are focused on profitability and maximizing things for a narrower band of services. So these concepts do not have to be mutually exclusive, but they must be discussed and addressed when you're forming a partnership. And Justin, your thoughts on the same question, where do health systems and private equity funds, where could they be congruence and where they could, can they develop great partnerships? Some of your thoughts there. So I think there's lots of ways to partner with great systems. Banner, if not the best amongst the best brand names in their community and their, in their geography and many other groups. You know, what, what do health systems have? I think local reputation, technology, and scale. Those are the things that they are excellent at. They're excellent at so many things, but how can well, the areas where their um, providers may not have the same ability? You know, Rarely do I find a provider group that has best-in-class technology and the doctor's been around 20, 30 years. And so... I think where's a place we can partner is where a private equity firm can partner with a provider group and help bring capital to the table to support an upgrade in technology systems. That is a win-win-win. It's, you know, it may cost X dollars to go to this new system. It'll take, you know, years for it to play through the conversion. But when that does occur, it becomes more efficient for the patient, better for the provider, and I think better for the whole entire system. And also can talk to the systems in the, in the appropriate setting. We personally, as a firm, we like to invest in verticals or sectors where the demand materially outstrips the supply, you know? And then when we invest in those areas, we like to become the employer of choice. You know, how do we get a place where the doctor or the nurse practitioner, the physician assistant or nurse wants to work, have a career path they feel really good about? A, a hospital can offer a really great career path. What, what I can't do is offer a attending program. What I can't do is some of the stuff hospitals can do. We can do some other things that may be more flexible in certain fact patterns. And so I think there's a ways where they can work really well together in, in a lot of situations. I'd also say, when people talk about private equity, I always say, if you've met one private equity firm, you've met one private equity firm. You know, everyone is a little bit different, have their own approaches. At least for us here at Shore Capital, I like to think that our brand and our reputation matters a ton. You know, we're going to be partnering with an you know, ophthalmologist group this year, and then next year, an allergist group, and the following year, a, a dental group, whatever it may be. You know, we try to think about, we, I know we say this in our board meetings all the time, we're not trying to build the business for most profitability tomorrow. We're trying to build a long-term sustainability because after us, we're going to sell to somebody else. Like, at least where we sit in the ecosystem, we're on a relatively small side. Usually we partner with groups and they have somewhere between 50 and 200 employees and we partner with them and we usually exit the partnership with somewhere around 1,000 to 3,000 employees. 
Usually there's somebody owns it after us, but most importantly, the group, the doctors, the managing states, and they're keep going for a long period. Maybe a private equity firm after me, maybe a health system, maybe a payer, maybe a variety of people after us. But I like to think about it as if I sell businesses and they don't go well after we've exited, who's going to want to buy our business in the future? So to me, it's really important to do it the right way, have a long-term view, and maybe forego some short-term profitability. But Shore Capital's brand reputation matters because I want the next provider group to be able to talk to the most recent provider group we exited and say, yeah, they set it up for the, the long-term. They have recruiting incentives and programs. I think we try and be creative on incentives and, cre and create a place where they want to work that meets them where they want to be met. Um, and by the way, hospitals can do that. Insurance plans can do that. Lots of different groups can do that in different ways. But we try and become the employer of choice. And I think a hospital can be the employer of choice and we can complement each other really well in lots of different scenarios. Thank you very, very much. And then, Scott Nordland, to talk about a specific area within healthcare, you've done a lot at Banner with surgery center investments in the ASC space, which is also a place where ECG is, is great experts in that, that surgery center space. Can you talk a little bit about the role that private equity has played in, in some of those areas with your surgery center efforts? Yes. Uh, the, we, so we founded Atlas Health Partners about five years ago. And I think that came from a recognition that um, USPI had now become tenant, uh, SCA had become Optum. So there were an increasingly limited set of options for not-for-profit systems when considering equity relationships with surgeons. So in this case, um, we, we uh, Banner, have acted as the PE company in terms of backing the development of Atlas, and now we have some great partner investors like Corwell, uh, who, who joined uh, uh, about a year ago, and a couple of other major not-for-profit health systems that are going to be announced in Q1 this year. So for now, traditional PE has not been part of the story, but Banner absolutely mimicked the PE approach. So we're likely to move to PE at some point to help accelerate the growth, take some of our invested capital off the table so that we can reinvest it and other things, but for for now, uh, the large health systems are are um, are playing that role as the uh, as the PE provider for the development of Atlas Health Partners. Fascinating, and, and systems like Ascension have been very active doing those types of things as well, and some other s systems as well. Thank you very very much, Justin. Let me come back to you. People talk about all the money dry powder that private equity has to invest. How do you think about that? And how does that impact the healthcare environment? And, and do private equity funds go slower in putting that to work if they don't see the right opportunities at the right time? But how does that sort of impact what private equity funds do, all that money that's out there to put to work? You know, I, I mean, again, I think they know everyone may operate a little bit differently. Um, my view is we're only going to partner with groups and great companies that have a late long-term growth potential. I'm a very long-term type of focused um, organization. You know, um, there's lots of money out there, but remember, we have responsibilities too. It's not like the money is like free. You know, our investors are usually university endowments, pension funds, insurance plans. You know, so just you know, making this up, uh, some Department of Transportation in some state has you know, 40,000 retirees. They give their money to us, amongst other places as well, and we owe them a return back at some point, usually around between five and 10 years. And so, um, 
we're not just going to invest the money just to invest it. We're investing. We have to get. We have responsibility to those constituents to have a greater return back. And we've already started partnering with hospital systems. You know, you know, simple things. Maybe um, in the following manner. So, like a, a PEO, professional employer organization. A lot of times, health systems. I don't. I don't know banner, but they may be only in four states or six states. They end up now with this new work world where people work remotely relatively easily. Some buckets like revenue cycle management can be known, proven to be effective outside of a local geography, but they don't want to become an employer in California or in Texas or certain geographies. So we form partnerships with health systems that you would know where they have their employees be from the health system, but they use a PEO, our relationship, our PEO, to employ people in different geographies that make more sense and become more nimble for the health system. You know, they decide to, you know, double or triple down in the geography and say have so having like 41 employees, they have 400 employees, they'll become a, a local you know, constituent in that community. And so I think there's ways to work in, in that in that fashion. And other ways is that, you know, we, we like to think of how can you expand the value, the whole value stick. I think the value stick is like it's the old school work terminology. There's like the willingness to pay, willingness to sell and price and cost. How do you extend the whole entire system? And like example of that is we have a business that is a med device repair and restoration business. I don't know Scott's situation, but hospitals we partner with all the times, they have a they bought a you know a stethoscope or something for twenty thousand dollars four years ago. Now it's you know relatively old and worn down, and they want to buy a new one from Stryker tomorrow, but it costs thirty thousand dollars, and the budget only has five in it. So can we go to them and buy their old stethoscope for a portion of what they paid for it because it's four years old? You know, we give them five thousand dollars for it. And now they can go to Stryker with their new $5,000 and their budget of $5,000 buy a brand new $10,000 piece of technology. And we go and refurbish that and we go maybe sell it. We sell lots overseas. We sell it to the veterinary industry. And so I think there's a way you can work together with hospital systems where you're creating value where it may not be as valuable for a world-class health system to have a four-year-old piece of equipment in some fact patterns, but they sure would rather have some cash to be able to go buy the newest version of the technology. And that piece of equipment is very viable and will work in other parts of the world, other ecosystems. So I think that type of approach, I think you can invest your dry powder and your, your capital and business that I think are a win-win-win. That's some mentality to have your short capital. How do you expand the value stick, have a win-win-win scenario where everyone feels like we're doing best for the patient? Any day for us, everything goes back to do right by the patient and good things follow. I mean, it's really th about identifying like the value proposition early on, right? So any partnership, in any partnership, you really need to understand what is the value proposition you're trying to offer and really play to the strengths of the two partners involved, right? It's really understanding what the swim lane of the health system is, what the swim lane of the private equity firm is, right? where are you looking to leverage your strengths and deliver you know, the best healthcare you can to the patients that you're trying to serve. And, and those are the kinds of partnerships that end up working and where you haven't really identified what that value proposition is gonna be in the beginning and haven't talked about all of the, the issues as Scott mentioned, right? Investment horizons and who are the, the patient population that you're trying to serve and are you willing to expand to certain patient populations or not and making sure everyone's on the same page prior to that partnership and then moving forward from there. Well, that comes with trust, right? You know, you especially in your local community, you're more likely to trust somebody you've known for five years than not. You meet on a non-for-profit board in like the, for the Museum of Science and Industry and you work together for a number of years in a different collaboration, you're willing to take a risk in working for us in the health system and the health system working with us is, you know the person, you know the DNA, and that's how I think snowballs start to go. And once you have a good experience once, second one and a third one, 
I think that stuff matters. It goes a long way. Thank you. And Jared and Katie, let me have you comment further a little bit. What advice would you give to health system and PE leaders who want to expand their partnerships, their investments in the ambulatory space or other spaces? Katie and Jared, what advice would you give to health system and private equity leaders? One of the things that I often think about is, you know, we talk a lot about private equity investing in the provider or ambulatory space, but you know who else is investing in that space or payers. And so when we think about vertical integration and who's going to control healthcare delivery, I think it's in the best interest of both independent and community providers and health systems to be thinking about differently about um, where are their partnership opportunities that allow me to continue to maintain independence in the way I want to deliver, but potentially through a partnership that might force me, right, to think a little bit differently. I, I, I don't want to call it a, a defensive mechanism, Scott, but I do want to call it a proactive opportunity to think about partnership and maintaining some control over the healthcare delivery system. And I think you can do that much like Jared said, if you have those advanced partnerships, I mean, maybe there are specific specialties that make more sense than others. Urgent care comes to mind, right, as an example of where you might be able to manage sort of the, the consistency in the population you're serving, creating funnels back to the hospital and the health system, some stickiness, right, but still trying to meet the needs of the community. I just, I guess the advice I give is be open-minded about it because I think there are others who are looking to control the delivery system and, you know, want to try to avoid sort of one dominant party uh, in my mind in, in those scenarios. I, I think health systems are in a really unique position to point out to private equity firms, really what are the pain points in a particular market and what are the pain points in, uh, across the delivery system and work together with them on how to figure out how to alleviate some of those pain points. You know, Katie, Talk, alluded to you know, the urgent care, and urgent care has been an area of, of private equity investment of late and has been something on the minds of health systems for quite a while. You know, for health systems, it's a question a lot of times of access. And so if urgent care can provide additional access points uh, to bring people into the health system and to meet patients where they are, well, then that's, a really, that's an opportunity to partner with PE who may be looking to scale uh, an urgent care platform. And then, and similarly with ASC, as Scott talked about in his, you know, in their investment with Atlas, right, and growing the number of surgery centers that Banner has had under its, within its system, a lot of health systems are looking to figure out how to deal with this shift in, in, in from the inpatient setting to the outpatient setting and how to meet patients where they are and how to put, how to meet put care in the most appropriate place. And surgery centers fill that need for a lot of health systems, and some are just on the beginning of that strategy. Scott and Banner are, are obviously well into their uh, their investment in the, in the surgery center space, but um, surgery centers are a really great way to partner with investors, and are also a great way to partner with physicians and physician investors. And so, really, though, understanding that the health system is really the one who typically has uh, the brand and also the market knowledge of the different physician groups and what are the needs of the patients in that particular community. And so again, you know, aligning those interests and aligning those skill sets is uh, a great way to, to build a partnership. Thank you very, very much. And, and Scott, you've partnered a lot with private equity funds, built your own sort of investment in a platform. 
Any advice for how private equity funds and health systems ought to look at partnering? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, we're participating in a lot of a lot of different vehicles. So we're in, you know, great innovation investment funds like Heritage and Flair and Beacon Petty and Arboretum. And we also make direct investments in some of their portfolio companies through our banner venture group, Scott, which we've talked about before. And we incubate some of those opportunities through Banner Innovation Group. So I think we have, through BIG and BVG, we, we, we set those up in large part to help us seamlessly interact with PE and venture opportunities. I think when great ideas or companies with new concepts come along, you want to be sure your system has a place where they can land and be consistently evaluated, tested, vetted, so on. So, you know, I strongly believe that health systems need to create great avenues to interact with and get the best out of PE and the funds that we're involved in. And so, you know, with these relationships, we, you know, we're a customer, but we're also a partner in terms of, you know, vetting companies, offering advice on the pain points, which, uh, which uh, Jared just brought up, the type of investments that would address some of those pain points, testing those portfolio companies as well. So to me, that's where the intersection of PE with the innovation and the ability to vet and find companies and then health systems with the ability to test those things, that, that's where the overlap can create some real magic um, that is great for communities that, that, that are served by us. And Justin, any thoughts are to fall on to that? You, you come from a different perspective as actually founder and running a set of highly successful funds. Any thoughts on health system, private equity partnership, or provider private equity partnership? Yeah, I mean, I go back to everything in business terms of trust. And so I think, how do you build trust over a period of time? And it may end up being by being a vendor to a system for a period of time, and then you do a good job in that capacity. You kind of earn your way up the total pole to get more relationships with you know the right people in the C-suite. Eventually, there's a champion, usually in my experience, is internal to the health system that wants to push something along they think it can create value. I think that doesn't usually happen on a first meeting. Hi, nice to meet you. Can we do A, B, or C? That is not usually, I think, how it works. And so there's things like urgent care make a lot of sense when in geographies and hours of access. But I would think even things like they're becoming more and more important. Like, how do you hire physicians? Or how do you hire, you know, a certain type of staff? You know, it's not necessarily some organization's core competency on hiring, you know, a thousand individuals into certain types of roles that are non-clinical. Okay, how do you partner with a hospital to be able to do things that you may do for a university that has a lot of similarities to a hospital system? And so I think, to me, we spend a lot of time building relationships. That's where my personal focus is and talking with C-suite members of hospitals to think about how we can, in the same community, do right by our patient. Everything goes back to doing right by the patient. And I think that goes, in the health system, one of their biggest strengths is technology. They have the ability to say, here's a technology backbone. We're on this system. If your mom or dad has a need, and you're, you get the EMR, the records available, that comes super valuable if you're able to plug in and share that information um, across geographies and making sure you're not doing the same thing twice. And so I think that's how we think about it. But to me, if everything starts with trust and uh, it takes some time though, this isn't like, hi, nice to meet you. It is um, how can we be helpful in some capacity? And then from there, do things together. And I've found that the more that occurs, the more um, the community wins overall. Thank you very, very much. And, and Katie and Jared, let me come back to you. We're in a world where big health plans are becoming more and more vertically integrated, whether it's this great mix of 
Optum United, CVS, Aetna, Elevance now is trying to do more and more in the provider community. How can not-for-profit health systems and big health systems use different partnerships as a leverage to maintain some autonomy? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so we, we are seeing it a lot. I mean, you pick a state and there's a payer who's invested in a different subspecialty of providers. And, and you know, in some ways, you know, I think that's good. It continues to create access. And we think about how we're controlling utilization differently. One of the ways that I think it, I actually think that the partnership itself uh, or the opportunities to think about partnerships are the ways to sort of protect autonomy, both for the physicians who Justin alluded to, you know, making sure they can continue to operate at the top of their license, but also for the health system. So they're maintaining the referrals for those services, um, you know, back within their system. And then as we think about, or I think it's most important, as we think about the evolution to value-based care, um, that's the play that the payers are focused on, right, is how do we control utilization and spend, and how do we make sure that we're controlling that premium dollar? Um, I think for hospitals and health systems and private equity-backed entities, the, the trick will be to figure out, okay, if we, if we build or we partner on a specific subspecialty, how do we fit into the value continuum? And the challenge we have is there's always going to be things like you know, bundled payments for certain specialties. There are other specialties, though, that make a material impact on spend for things like Medicare Advantage. Um, I'll use retina services, for example, right? That's a high spend area. Is there a way for us to think differently about how to partner, create access for those services, and then go collectively to the plan? It's difficult if you don't have a joint contracting structure, right? But we've got to figure out how to create those partnerships so that one entity isn't coming in driving utilization out of the hospital, right, which needs the fee service reimbursement, but the health system is still focused on the overall population health of the community and wants to make sure those numbers have access. I just think, um, I don't know that it's the right answer, Scott, when you said, how do they do it? I think the answer is it needs to happen so that we're figuring out how to make sure that if we're driving value to the payers and their utilization, that whoever's providing that value is getting some cut of it or the savings, right? And I think there's opportunity to increase partnership to do that. Thank you very, very much. And then, Jared, would you like to comment that as well as to how the health systems, PE funds, look at this in the world of health plans becoming so, so large and being so deeply into delivery as well? Any thoughts there? Yeah, and I think Katie said it, put it well, right? It's really about uh, a lot of the ways that this is coming up and simmering up to the top is through the conversation around value-based care and how to really make an impact in value-based care and, and what is the, you know, is there a need to be vertically integrated to really address, address utilization, address the patient population, address the services that are being used and utilized. So, um, you know, we, we see a lot of the, we hear a lot of the term payvider, right, being used a lot recently. And then the systems who are looking at developing their own health plans or health plan products in partnership with plans. So really it's, it's about, you know, what, again, what goes back to what makes most sense for that market. Um, you know, who are the, who are the plans that are participating in that market, how big they are and what kind of sway they have. And then, Similarly with the health system, right? How big are they in that particular market? Do they have 
access to a certain enough patients for it to make sense and for them to see results and be able to drive results because that can be one of the failures of certain products and certain plans is not enough patient attribution. Um, and so really being able to understand uh, the different nuances within each market and, and then thinking about how to best address this shift to or this desire to shift to the value-based care model, but thinking through you know, what are who, what are the appropriate components of that partnership? Do they involve plan? Do they involve you know provider? Do they what what are what are the essential ingredients? Thank you. And Justin, let me ask you about the same question. You obviously hear a lot about and see a lot in the world that you're in of these big payer sponsored organizations driving into vertical integration. How does it impact how you view opportunities and view the world? Look, I think payers in this ecosystem have, you know, a lot of strengths. Like they manage costs, right? They are, their role is an organizer of health services and the driver of cost accountability. You know, that's where their big picture role. And like, think about like, what are the payers key assets, right? Data, capital, and relationship with group purchasers. That's what the payer is really good at. Um, where's your opportunities? I think trust and differentiation. You know, sometimes it's a little bit of black box. You don't know what's behind the curtain sometimes. Um, and so I think, of, you know, as a private equity firm, how do I address some of those concerns? That's a win-win-win. Now, I think most of the time I meet people in the payers or plans, they're really good people. And they want to get their message across. But sometimes it gets lost in translation to providers because they're diametrically opposite. I think what happened during COVID, you know, um, there's some tough times for a lot of different groups. And, you know, and then the inflation that followed right after, you know, sometimes payers had a harder time raising rates. But even though the, everyone knows that the employees and nurses got paid, you know, 10, 20 percent more over a period of time. So how can a private equity firm partner with the payer in a way to have data that be able to, is a win-win-win scenario where you can help with cost accountability, but have the best outcomes for the patients. That's how we kind of think about it. And I always go back to like, what are the drivers and what are the opportunities for a different part of the ecosystem? And you know, our job is to try and insert ourselves to make it better for everybody involved. Thank you. And Scott Nordland, any final comments on, on, on this issue and yeah. how you view this issue with the big payers and so forth? Yeah, a absolutely. I, you know, I think um, we view the big payers kind of like we view PE. Um, I think there are big opportunities and there are, you know, things that you have to be uh, eyes wide open about. Um, I think, you know, certainly I, the, the average PE fund size probably increased, I don't know, 30 or 40% over the last couple of years, but, you know, nowhere near what you're looking at with United Optum, CVS, Aetna, which are well over 350 billion in revenues each and the deal flow and buy-ups they're doing, it's stunning. Um, I think over the last 10 years, United Optum's done like 115 transactions, nearly $100 billion worth. So they're in, so profitable and now aggressively moving into all elements of care delivery, really, except for the provision of hospital-based acute services. Now, there's still partnership opportunities you know, with them. Um, we have an excellent JV partnership with um, CVS Aetna on the commercial insurance side. We're about three and a half billion in premium revenue and have about a million two covered lives. Um, our commercial insurance JV with Aetna has grown to almost 500,000 members. You know, the insurers are more likely to have, I think, a little bit 
um, longer term investment thesis, but they're also a little scarier because of the sheer size and scale at, at which they operate. And so, you know, I think there's opportunities there, there's risks there. And I think, you know, what um, uh, uh, Jared and, and, and Katie and Justin were talking about in terms of, you know, how PE firms can work with health systems um, to partner, um, you know, in some instances to try to blunt some of the things that the large insurers are doing. I think they're right. You know, they, they can allow, PE can allow health systems to be more nimble in some instances. The ownership is not 100%, but the capital outlay to enter new businesses and buy into existing ones, also not 100%. Speed to market is almost always increased when you're working with a PE market. And it allows systems to be, I think, more traditional in terms of, you know, preparing um, to either buy out the PE company over time or benefit um, from, from an exit. So, you know, there's, there's capital advantages, there's speed to market. Um, if you have the appropriate governance, there can be real win-win-wins for the health system PE company and the community that you're serving. So, uh, again, all of these things, I think, are they're threats to the traditional model that health systems have. But you know what? The traditional models that health systems have had are not always working. And so I think you have to be really open-minded in thinking about your system, your mission, your vision, and how you can work as a good partner uh, to these organizations to extend what you're trying to provide to the communities. Thank you very, very much. I, I want to thank each of you for joining us today. Uh, Katie Fallon, Jared Langus, each of ECG, uh, one of the great consulting organizations in the country. Uh, Justin Ispia from one of the great private equity funds in the country. Uh, and, and finally, Scott Nordland, leader of one of the great health systems in the country. So thankful for all of your thoughts on, on private equity and healthcare today. Uh, no single answer. Uh, potentially a great constructive ally for help uh, can also be challenging, but so much to be learned here. Thank you all for joining us today on the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thank you very much.